You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Brian Haney has one of the most enviable jobs in American sports. He also has one of the most difficult jobs in American sports. It's the same job. The voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, Haney is responsible for bringing all the action of the University of Kansas men's basketball, football, and baseball games. During the hoop season, he gets to sit courtside at historic Allen Fieldhouse, the best college basketball arena in America, and call games for the Jayhawks, one of the winningest programs in college basketball history. To make sure he doesn't get too comfortable, though, he also gets to call 12 games per year for the KU football team, one of the worst programs in college football over the past decade plus. The great thing about Brian is he does all of that with the same upbeat, energetic approach, regardless of the sport, the team, or the results. So, Brian, welcome to Sports Connections. David, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. And uh, hearing some of the previous guests you've had, man, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm low man on the totem pole if you just got done <laughs> talking to Bill Self. So thanks so much for having me on. This is great. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, and and I've, I've shared this with a, a lot of people. You know, I've, ta- I've had, obviously, Bill, as you mentioned, I had your predecessor, Bob Davis, and, and Jeff Bowley talking about their book. And I, I say it's really difficult for me as a K-Stater to say this, but you guys are really nice guys. And, and I have to root for you away from the field of play. So uh, I love that. let's start with your growing up years. Did you play a lot of sports growing up? Just real quickly, there's a lot of nice guys to the west of here, too, including Wyatt Thompson, whose basketball spotting boards I still use to this day. He mentored me 10, 12 years ago before I went to Texas Tech, and uh, he's been a, a dear friend ever since. So I love plenty of Wildcats, including you, David. So thanks for having me on. I did play a little bit of sports when I was a kid. Um, I uh, I think I peaked at age 12 when I was the Topeka Elks Club free throw champion. Uh, <laughs> went, to, went to regionals in Olathe, hit 23 out of 25, and somehow lost. But uh, that was probably the pinnacle of my sports career. I realized pretty quickly when I was 15 or 16 that I was just a scrawny kid with a limited vertical leap. And my you know, claim to fame was not going to be as an athlete if I wanted to stay close to sports and do something for a profession in the sporting realm. It would have to come you know, in a different avenue. But that's when I started turning the volume down on my Nintendo video games, practicing calling the action on RBI baseball and double dribble and Tecmo bowl and stuff like that uh, to really hone my skills as a play-by-play guy. But I think we all had those hoop dreams as a kid shooting on our driveway, emulating Jacques Vaughn or whoever the the star was. Maybe for you, it was a K-State star back in the day, Orlando Blackman, something like that. I don't know. But uh, for me, I was definitely a basketball and baseball enthusiast, played a little bit of, of golf and tennis as well. I always wanted to play football, but I had childhood seizures as a kid, and mm. doctors never let me play contact sports where I could hit my head. Some KU fans probably think I still got my head hit from time to time. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we, uh, we, I had a great childhood, very supportive parents and grandparents that attended every single one of my games. And this is a, a little-known claim to fame, but it also speaks in a self-deprecating way to my lack of sports skills one time in third grade when they passed out all these team honors, individual certificates of team MVP, best hitter, best fielder. The certificate I got from my third grade baseball team was best grandparents support. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? 
Like I, I didn't do anything to lay down a sack bunt or have a clutch RBI hit. I got best grandparent support, but my grandparents were the first ones there, the last ones to leave, and uh, my biggest supporters all throughout. Well, just to tell you how old I am, my childhood hero on the basketball court was the collegiate version of Elvin Hayes. So uh, okay. the Big E. My uncles all went to Houston, and so I followed the Cougars uh, with Don Chaney and Elvin Hayes and that that okay. group of guys. So you wanted to be a broadcaster early on? I did. I always kind of had the gift of gab. In fifth grade, I was the lead in my uh, elementary school musical, Johnny Appleseed. So I always kind of had a, a stage presence or a showmanship element about me and realized that this love of sports and this ability to speak and, and share my, my opinions on them might lead to something someday. And so, yeah, I was, I was doing the... Uh, Nintendo video game practice calls and one day told the high school TV productions instructor at Topeka West High School, same high school alma mater as Bob Davis, by the way, I told Corey Wilson that I had this ambition to one day be a play-by-play guy and they had never before done sports play-by-play on their Topeka West TV productions, but you talk about a really blessed kid that had the right mentors and educators in front of him on his path to his ultimate dream Corey Wilson tailor-made this program at Topeka West specifically for me, a program that 25 years later the kids are still benefiting from. And he used to load up all the equipment on a cafeteria lunch cart and push it up the hill and into the basketball gymnasium so we could have this remote broadcast set up to do the basketball games because they'd never done it before. It wasn't like we had a production truck or anything like that and here he is you know taking the uh the chicken nuggets off of the cafeteria trade so he can load up a couple hundred dollars worth of broadcast equipment and and use that same type of uh you know cafeteria roller to get up to the gym I, i just thought what a selfless act what a great educator that was willing to modify and mold his game plan or his lesson plan in this case to meet the ambition of his student. And he's yeah. done that and now is retired, but did that for a Hall of Fame 35 plus year career there in Topeka. And I was so fortunate to have him be my first of many mentors along the way that I'm sure we'll talk about over this conversation. And uh, you, know, you, you name it, anybody who's been a big time announcer here in the Kansas City area at one time or another in the last 20 years has you know extended their time, their insight, their wisdom, to me on some level to help me get to where I'm at today. And I'm supremely grateful, but it all started with Corey Wilson and that cafeteria lunch cart way back in 1996. Uh, Was it always the Jayhawks, the voice of the Jayhawks, the dream job, or were you just wanting to get a job in sports and you fell in love with KU having attended there? You know, I, you, you, I grew up going to games with my father, both football and basketball at the University of Kansas and uh, never missed a home game. My dad actually has only missed two home football games in like 47 years. Wow. That's a lot of KU football, some of which have been exciting days, others yeah. have been trying times, and, and he's been there. And so I was with him every step of the way, and I knew I always wanted to go to KU. But when I was at KU, I wasn't dead set on being the next voice of the Jayhawks. I think at that time – you think, well, if I could get any Division One major college basketball and football job, I'll take it because I just love the aspect of, of getting to travel with the team, getting to identify with one school, one fan base, be that ambassador for the programs, the university, the community. I, I thought about doing the professional stuff, and I've had chances to as well, but to be in a different city every night 
as great as that might sound to some, I think I would have grown tired of that and weary of that pretty quickly. I like the relationships that you get through knowing the student athletes and the coaches and the fans and the community and all that. And if you're, if you're doing a, a different showcase, 82 nights a year, bouncing around the country, you just don't get a chance to, to connect on a similar level. And so the 20 year old version of me would have taken a play-by-play job anywhere. But as I got done with my time at Kansas and started to work as the sports director at KLWN, which is the flagship station in Lawrence, and really put down roots in the Lawrence community, I realized, man, there's no place like this place. The passion of the the basketball fans here is truly unlike any I've seen. And I know it's special in other places. I've been to Lexington. I've I've been to Cameron Indoor. I've I've been everywhere you could go from Poly Pavilion to Assembly Hall in Bloomington. Um, But I'm, I'm biased, but I'm also pretty well-traveled and well-read, and, and this place truly is one of a kind. And so I realized that, that though I might need to go other places to eventually come home, uh, ultimately this would be the dream because my family was here, my best friends, my memories, my upbringing is all here, and how blessed are we to grow up with one of the crown jewels in all of American sports right here in our own backyard, Allen Fieldhouse and Kansas basketball tradition. And that's when, you know, probably early 20s, I I started to think this would be the amazing dream job of all dream jobs to get to come back home here. But if you would have told me that I I stayed at Texas Tech for 40 years and had a great career down there and called a lot of wins with a lot of wonderful people, I would have been a very happy, content, and grateful guy too. This just happens to be home. And so if you get a chance to live your dream with the people you love and the place that raised you, then you're an especially blessed guy. And that certainly is my story. So, you know, you set the bar pretty high. That was your dream job. Has it lived up to expectations? You're finishing up your sixth year there. Had some really good success with basketball. Not so much with football, though things look like they're turning around. I really like what, what Coach Leipold, Leipold rather, uh, is doing there. Has it lived up to your expectations? I think it's been everything and more, David. It's, uh, it's everything I prayed for and hoped it would be in terms of the platform and the chance to tell the stories of student-athletes and Hall of Fame coaches and all that. But more than anything, the people I've had a chance to connect with in my six years back, the chance to grow what – I try to do through my platform and I know we're going to talk legacy later. So I hate to skip to the end, but you know, when I was in Lubbock and I was trying to make the most of that stage at Texas tech, I was also running my pediatric cancer organization back here in Kansas, the rock chalk round ball classic. And I knew if I ever had a chance to get this dream job perch as the voice of the Jayhawks, there'd be so many other things in addition to that, but also specifically that on a much grander scale that we could do. And so uh, to see what it's become in my six years from the KU Cancer Fighter tributes that we do at the end of each and every broadcast to probably 80 different philanthropic organizations that I get a chance to partner with and work with over the course of the year, either as an MC, a board member, or some kind of promotional arm. Uh, this, this is what I prayed for and hoped it would be. The games are tremendous. Doing Hawk Talk with Bill Self and Lance Leipold is a blast. But more than anything, the vehicle that this particular perch uh, is for me to try to leave some kind of legacy and and uh, try to impact people more than just being the guy who gives the scores yeah. and, and delivers the highlights. That's been the real dream come true of all dreams, because, yeah, in Kansas, when you talk, people listen. And that's not to say they didn't in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, you know, that was a, a great place to be. But 
when you're in Texas, you know, you're one of a, a dozen big time schools in that state. And it's very regionally geographic in terms of the pockets of, of influence and that kind of thing. Here in the Sunflower State, Wyatt Thompson and, and whoever the voice of the Jayhawks is, you know, really have a, a great chance to do a lot of good and impact a lot of people. And because it's it is our professional sport in, in yeah. this part of the state, you know, and, and Kansas basketball to me after the Royals and Chiefs is kind of that next, you know, real tradition when it comes to uh, galvanizing, draw attention from all corners of the state type team and to get to tell their stories, but also have the platform that gives me a chance to do some good from it is exactly where I, I hope to be, prayed to be, and have been blessed to get to come here and become. You, Brian, you mentioned your time at Texas Tech. Uh, just talk about the time there. And one of the athletes whose stories you told was some dude named Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. so tell me your favorite Mahomes stories. Yeah, no doubt. Well, First off, you know, I, I was really fortunate to get that job, and I'll try to give you the 45-second version, but I bonded with the previous voice of Tech men's basketball doing baseball uh, when I was the KU baseball voice for 10 years, and we would always cross paths and break bread together and you know, shared uh, a love of sports and similar faith and all that. And he told me uh, when he came to town in February of 2012 to do KU Texas Tech basketball, that in 72 hours, he was going to turn in his letter of resignation as the voice of Texas Tech. And he wanted me to be first in line to replace him because he wow. saw me as a guy that it was an up and comer that needed that big break, but also that would appreciate it, be grateful for it and do a lot of good through it. And as fate or fortune would have it, I don't think luck. I think it was fate. Guess where KU women's basketball was supposed to be in 48 hours? Lubbock, Texas. So I was headed down there anyway. Yeah. And so I immediately get boots on the ground, no pun intended, rush to the fan shop, buy a Texas Tech foam finger, a Texas Tech T-shirt. I go around campus taking pictures of myself in front of all these Texas Tech landmarks. <laughs> I make a Texas Tech-specific demo reel with me calling their players uh, with my style, my voice, but their guys, which you know, I could send them free state and Lawrence high basketball from the 6A state of Kansas level, but that's not going to resonate like sure. here and their own guys would. And then when he goes in to turn in his letter of resignation, one day after I got back home to Lawrence, 72 hours after he originally told me this, I've got a portfolio, I've got a demo reel, I've got pictures of me in Lubbock on the guy's desk as well. And I had Danny Manning call the guy as well. So I, that doesn't you know, hurt. <laughs> you know, pull, pull out all the stops in, yeah. in a two-day window. And so I was really blessed to get that job. But it all started with relationships. And so for anybody listening to this podcast today, whether it's a, a young, aspiring person, doesn't have to be broadcasting, could be anything in life, or even later in your career, you never know what connection, what friendship, what professional relationship might open yeah. a door for you at some point. And so... You know, I always tell my broadcast students to, you know, deliver your best each and every time you're on the air. You never know who's listening, but also deliver your best in person every interaction you have, because you never know whose hand you shake might have a chance to open the door for you or do something bigger than both of you through yeah. the relationship you form. And so those are words I've lived by for a long time. And I never would have thought all those lunches I had with the play-by-play the -play guy at Texas Tech would open the door for my professional future because to backtrack a little bit further, I'd been told by one of the KU execs at age 28, 29, hey, you're probably our pick to be the next voice of the Jayhawks someday. 
but you definitely have to go somewhere else if you want to come home. We're not just going to hire the understudy. And at that time, I was filling in for Bob whenever he had a play-by-play conflict with football and basketball overlap. I did about 15 games as his understudy, but they weren't going to hire the understudy. Right. Uh, I needed to go out and, and, and be my own guy uh, somewhere at a major conference level. And so uh, that that turned out to be the big break in my career. You know, the, the thing that was neat about Patrick, and it rings true still to this day, and, and it has to do with his upbringing and just what a great human being he is. He was always so humble. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to do a ton with him in football because I was the basketball and baseball voice and helped with football pregame. But I, I wasn't around football practice a ton, but I was around him during baseball. And for one season, he played baseball. And I'll never forget, we were on the road in Manhattan, Kansas, of all places. And he's on the baseball road trip. And we were eating at the Hilton Garden Inn to breakfast and kind of fix your own plate buffet thing. And this, this waitress that was refilling the orange juice comes up and she's trying to you know talk to each kid and she gets to Patrick and she says, so, so what position do you play? And he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm a pitcher. He's like, I'm really more of a football player. And she's like, well, are you any good at football? And, <laughs> and he, he had just passed for 500 yards at their end of season game versus Baylor in Jerry world, AT&T stadium there uh, where the Dallas Cowboys call home. He set a freshman record and he was at that point being considered for all these national awards and future honors and everything. She's like, are you any good? And he's like, well, ma'am, I- I'm okay. And she's like, well, what position do you play? Well, ma'am, I'm a quarterback. And she's like, well, you think you might be able to make a living out of it someday? And he says, well, ma'am, you know, I'd like to, but I'm just I'm taking it one game at a time. and I'm trying to work as hard as I can. And I thought, how humble is this guy? Half the kids I know would be like, well, actually, check me out on Instagram. I just threw for 500 yards and I'm going to be the next big thing. Everything was yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. He was so polite. And, And when I see him and I only get to interact with him once or twice a year now, but he still seems so genuine. And uh, for a guy that's had a meteoric rise to superstardom, unlike any quarterback we've ever seen in terms of accomplishments at such an early age, he's still so grounded. Uh, And so it really is refreshing to see a guy like that. And uh, they are few and far between in this day and age of having your own brand and now NIL and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with NIL. These players should be able to profit from their name and image and likeness. But a lot of guys are all about the me. And Patrick, from very early on, was all about the we and, and about putting team over self. And you still see that to this day. And so, um, you know, funny claim to fame from his baseball days. And I didn't get to call this game because it happened during basketball season. And I was on the basketball call that day. But you've probably heard the story that the one game he got in as a pitcher, he walked the bases loaded and every run came around to score and he didn't record a single out. And consequently, if you look it up, his statistical career ERA is, drum roll please, infinity, which yeah. will never be broken. <laughs> and so a pitcher that Tim Tadlock, who's one of the greatest college baseball coaches of his time, former national coach of the year, he said if, if Patrick would have fully committed himself to baseball, he was a once-in-a-generational arm talent that would have been the greatest pitcher they ever had, not just in his program, but program history, maybe best in the Big 12. And uh, – is a guy that, that, you know, had he not told 
through his advisors, had he not told the MLB he was not going to sign under any circumstances, he would have been a first or a second round pick coming out of high school. Instead, yeah. he went the seventh round to the Tigers. But uh, my, my point is, uh, you know, he, he was all in on football at that point. was going back and forth between spring ball and baseball and all that. And, and the one game he gets in, he posts an infinity ERA. So for an NFL quarterback that's going to shatter just about every record you could write, uh, he also has a baseball record that will never be broken. That's right. That's right. In a higher than infinity. In a different way. Yeah, I, I actually had his dad on the podcast. His, my uncles were his dad's agents when he was a major league baseball player. And, and we talked about Patrick's humility and, and the groundedness and stuff like that. So I want to go back to, to one of the things you said earlier, and this was, uh, I wasn't uh, ready for this. I wasn't, I didn't prepare for it this way, but you talked about the fact of, you know, putting, putting your effort out there, doing the extra thing. I, I love the story about going around, taking pictures of yourself uh, on the campus in Lubbock. To me, and I've heard you allude to some other things here. To me, it's a perfect example of putting wheels under your prayers. You know, you ask God to lead you somewhere and then you put roller skates on or you put you use a skateboard or whatever. You put wheels under those prayers to make it easier for him to guide you the way he wants to go. I love that. That's a great description. And yeah, uh, you know, not to get too preachy on here, but definitely believe in a God who could snap his fingers and make anything come into motion. But I, I also believe that he plants seeds of, of ambition inside of us, yeah. gives us the dreams and sometimes opens doors in a major way. But you have to walk through them. Yeah. And you have to seize it. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you have to will it into motion yourself, but he brings certain people along uh, crossing paths with you to make it easier. And so I look back on my career now at age 41 and I think about all the pivotal interactions and opportunities and words of encouragement, words of recommendation, uh, doors that were open and none of them are coincidental. And, and all of them started with, you know, just, human interaction and connection, but then I realized there was a much bigger plan and path to the whole thing. And so certainly very grateful for that each step of the way. So uh, you were at tech for seven years. Is that correct? Actually just four at tech. Four, four years. Okay. Yeah. How, so here's the question though. How fast did you say yes when KU asked you to replace the great Bob Davis as the official voice? I mean, did you let him finish the sentence? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good story too because uh it had been a nine-month process very public process All right when you're not local at the time and you're not getting to interact face to face on a weekly basis you really don't know where you stand and you'd see stuff that fans were posting on social media or message boards positively and negatively but there, there was one particular group that had made this Facebook uh, groundswell movement, bring Brian Haney back to KU. And that was like manna from heaven to be down in Lubbock, Texas and not know where I stood, but to see hundreds of Jayhawk fans you know, liking this page and getting behind it just made me think, well, maybe I do have a chance. And the day that I really thought I had a great shot was when Kevin Harlan approached me and uh, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, Tech had finally made the NCAA tournament in basketball for the first time in nine years. It was Tubby Smith's last season there, and my last season as it proved to be. And, uh, and I was getting set to walk up to Kevin to shake his hand for the first time. I'd interviewed him once over the phone, but I'd never met him in person. And you talk about humble, gracious superstar. Yes, yes. absolutely that. And, and I go up to introduce myself. He said, oh, no, I know who you are, Brian. He's like, I want to talk to you this week. And I said, you did? And, and he proceeds to tell me unsolicited that he'd had numerous people that were candidates for the KU play-by-play -play job reach out for 
his endorsement, wanting him to back them for their candidacy. And he said, you're the only guy I'm going to back. And it's because I know of what you do in the community and everything you do philanthropically. And I really think you'd be the right fit to make the most of this role and you do it the right way. And, and when he said that, like the gold standard of of, of sportscasters, I mean, it's a good thing that I, I had size 13 shoes to keep me like standing upright. Cause I could have just fallen backwards <laughs> and there would have been no trust fall person to catch me. I would have yeah. put my head on the Raleigh floor. Uh, I was so blown away. And, and he uh, gave me his email address at follow up on Monday. Uh, let me know who, who you think would be most impactful for me to reach out to. And he did. And, wow. and so when, when that started to happen, I felt like I had a chance Came in, did the interview, met with Coach Self, Coach Beatty. It was it was a long, full day process, about eight hours, and uh, you know felt like it all went well. But you never truly know. And there were some other fantastic candidates that I was up against uh, that were certainly very worthy too. Uh, but I I then went up to Omaha, Nebraska, to call the College World Series, and we were getting set. Texas Tech was to face number one Florida that day, and. Um, I was out for a jog because during those nine months, it was such a stressful process. The only thing that would kind of clear my mind was, was getting out and running. I wish I still had that kind of stress and was still running that much. I'd look better. <laughs> but, uh, I, I legitimately lost like 20, 25 pounds during those nine months. I was out running. I had a Fitbit on. And you remember Fitbits used to be super popular. You link into your phone. And so when a phone call came in, like the name would pop up. And so I'm running in, in downtown Omaha. I think it was like 13th and Vine. That was the street corner I was on. And my wrist starts buzzing and it says Dr. Shane Zanger. Oh, wow. He stayed in Kansas ties to that one for, for your sake, David. Uh, Shane's a, a guy that uh, you know has background with both, but at the time was the KUAD. And uh, I, I answer the phone. I pull it out of my pocket. Of course, I'm all out of breath and everything already. You probably think so. I'm just nervous, but I've been running. <laughs> so, Brian, can you talk? And I, I'm like, yes, uh, I can. You know, and he's like, you're right. And I said, yeah, sorry, I was running. He's like, well, hey, I, I, I've got some news. I've got a question for you. How would you like to come home and live your dream as the voice of the Jayhawks? And uh, as you said, it didn't take long for, for the word yes to come out. But to go back to the faith, man, I, I fell to my knees right there on the corner of 13th and Vine. And I, I lifted my hands up to the heavens, just so grateful. And, and I remember a couple of people walking by looking at me thinking, man, what kind of shrooms is that guy on? He's, he's had a, <laughs> a crazy shirt. Yeah. This pasty dude in his short shorts, lifting his hands up to the sky. But I, I was just so grateful because it was culmination of what was a, you know, 15, 16 year dream. People always say lifelong dreams, but unless you had it as a toddler, it's not quite accurate. But it, it was a lifelong passion, Kansas athletics, and yeah. a career long dream ever since I was, as we discussed earlier, late college, you know, early professional years and uh, everything that went into it from all the networking to try to you know, build a brand and a reputation and, and all that finally came to fruition in the way that was going to bring me home. And, and so I'll never forget, like they told me I couldn't tell a soul uh, until they put the press release out. And I knew the press release was going to come sometime in the top of the first inning when I was on air calling that college world series game. So right before the broadcast started, I sent my mom three emojis and one of them was a, a prayer. One of them was a the hands in the sky, hallelujah. And then one was a heart. And that like, that was me honoring my promise to KU not to tell anybody, but letting her know something was coming. And then I, <laughs> and then I, I put my phone face down uh, on the floor, plugged in against the wall there in the broadcast booth at uh, 
think it's TD Ameritrade in Omaha, and uh, didn't touch it again until the game was over. Texas Tech won. It was my favorite call as a Red Raider announcer. Uh, it was such a proud day for that program. It had nothing to do with me. And then I turned the phone over, and, and there were, you know, 350-some text messages, 100 missed calls, and uh, it, it, and it was just – it was the, the perfect – confluence or congruence, I guess, of, of, of like my two worlds coming together, the, the heights of my Texas Tech four years winning on the biggest stage of college baseball, and then now the chance to come home. And so I uh, went up the street, got the best Omaha steak I could get, sat down and started pounding out replies. And that was the best day of my life going back to June of 2016. I want to switch gears here. Let's talk about your book. When did you get the idea to write the book? All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, Game Maker, a creative kid becomes the father of basketball is the story of what Dr. James Naismith was like as a creative, imaginative young boy growing up on a farm in Canada. And it takes you through the invention of basketball, through him watching it played in Germany at the Olympic Games as an old man, and then where it's at today and, and all these superstars that we wouldn't know who Michael Jordan or LeBron James is if it weren't for this invention right. back in December of 1891. And obviously at Kansas, we're really proud of our tradition. Basketball was not invented here, but the inventor came here and started up our program. And he's buried here just two miles east of campus. And his original rules will forever be on display here. Something that was a $4 million acquisition by uh, acquisition, I should say, by our fantastic KU booster, David Booth. And uh, it was a great 30 for 30 documentary called No Place Like Home, if you want to see how the rules were acquired. But anyways, you asked how it came about. It was March the 7th of 2020. We were getting set to head to Kansas City, not unlike uh, the time of this taping of our conversation today. And we're getting set for the Big 12 tournament with the number one team in the country. And Jim Naismith, the grandson of Dr. Naismith, his last living grandson of those that actually knew him briefly, um, he, uh, he happened to be in town and we did a podcast interview and he told me all these insightful stories of what his granddad was like as a young boy. He had studied his childhood and, and everything from being orphaned at an early age to going through all kinds of things in his life, finding himself. He wanted to be a preacher at one point, but he wasn't right. sure he had the gift of gab, uh, decided to go into physical education, all kinds of stuff that he enlightened me to that I didn't know. And I don't think the common KU basketball fan would know. But the biggest thing that I took away was that when he was eight years old to speed along the workday on the farm, he would make up these games while binding up sheafs of wheat. He would bind up one and then he'd throw it up in the air, almost like a baton. 10, 12 feet up in the air and then quickly try to wrap the other one with his other hand. And then as the first one was descending back down, if he wrapped the one with the left and caught the other with the right, boom, that was a point. And then you toss the other one up and started binding the next. And if you caught it as the other one came down before you were finished, uh, you know, with the next one, you, you got a second point. And that's, that's how he did the game. And he would challenge his workers in the field and his relatives to do it too. And I thought, man, what an inventive, Imagine yeah. the mind he had at such an early age. That's really cool. Well, as you will recall, David, four days later, the college basketball and professional sports world came to a screeching halt. And I was sitting next to Bill Self taping our pregame interview for the quarterfinal game of the Big 12 tournament when Sean Lester, our deputy AD, walks in and says, stop the recording, save your breath. You're not going to need it. We're going home. 
And I never would have thought in that moment that we're going home meant it was all over. Yeah. I just thought they'll cancel the Big 12 tournament. They won't cancel yeah. the billion-dollar entity that is March Madness. But three hours later, David, they did. And, and it was the most shocking, just like punchy in the gut feeling ever because we were number one with a bullet. And it's not to say that sports is even a sniff as important as what was going on in our world at that time. I'm not saying that at all. But I'll always wonder what might have been if they could have just postponed and, and played in a bubble, maybe with the top 16 teams as determined by a selection committee and do what the NBA did. I think at the time, Mark Few of Gonzaga was saying, why don't we have May Madness instead of March Madness? Yeah. You know? yeah. But my point is, I'll, I'll take that to my grave, Dave, but I'll always wonder what Udoka, Devon, and Marcus Garrett when it would have been able to do had they been given a chance at March Madness. So we go home and we're sitting there and it's like, wow, it really is canceled. It's over. And college baseball is canceled. It's over. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of play-by-play guys like me, we get paid by the game. And so I'm thinking, I don't know when I'm going to call a game again. And uh, I got to find a way to sustain myself a little bit. It's not like I was going to miss meals. But, you know, when the game checks stop rolling in and you don't know when they're going to start again, you got to start making some money. So I was like, yeah, I've got some peers in the industry that are announcers who who delved in the children's book realm. Tony Caridi at West Virginia, Toby Rowland at Oklahoma, John Walters at Iowa State at the time was also working on a book. I thought that's pretty cool. Maybe I could do a book, but there's so many KU kids books out there. And I thought, what's what's a, an interesting story I've recently heard that would inspire and resonate, connect with a child? And I thought of that story of Naismith, the imaginative, inventive kid that had a big ambition in his heart. And this I didn't tell you earlier, but even at, at the age of eight, he knew he wanted to grow up to do something big, to mm-hmm. change the world, to help other people. And this is a very clear and and important point of clarification. He didn't want to do something big to gain fame or wealth or notoriety. He wanted to do something big to make the world a better place for others around him. And I thought that was such an inspiring and at the same time heartwarming tale. And so I sat down and, and, uh, you know, you're a much more talented writer than me, David. But uh, first crack at this thing, I, I pounded it out in 24 hours. It's got great internal rhyme. It, one kid I was reading at a school the other day, he said, man, we should make this into a rap song. We could put it on Spotify. You and me could be rap stars. I thought that's the best compliment I've gotten. But as a sportscaster who'd never written a book before, I, I write this over the course of one day and I think, okay, you know, they'll make a few tweaks. This will be good. And then I learned that in the publishing process, you know, you have a publisher, an editor, an illustrator, an advisory board who reads your first manuscript, tears it up, makes you do a second, tears it up. And what was a one day re, uh, write and read the first time turned into a nine month process after that, fighting tooth and nail over every syllable, over yeah. every rhyming stanza, all that. But I'm really proud of how it came out. Rob Peters is the illustrator. He's from Topeka, like me. He's twice as talented as I am. You'll love the pictures. And my favorite uh, couple of pages in the whole book is at the end when we talk about all the basketball stars that, that are now notable names because of James's invention. And he actually captures their images in such an impressive way. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, Wilt, Shaq, female stars as well like Lisa Leslie and Sue Bird, Dr. Naismith's images in there as well. It's so cool how it comes together. And so I, I think it, it resonates and clicks both with the young reader 
and his mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, big brother is reading to him because there's a star in there for everybody. Yeah. It hits home with everybody as well. Uh, that's, a, that's a great story. I wrote two books during the pandemic. I was, I was walking into the first night of the Big 12 because K-State always usually plays the first night while you guys are sitting watching. Uh, <laughs> and um, Al Wallace called me and I had helped Al write his book. Yes. And, and he said, uh, <clears throat> do you mind if I give somebody your contact information? Some, a publisher called me and asked if I knew somebody who would who would help them with a book. And he didn't tell me what it was. And and I said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I said, Al, you don't need my permission to, <laughs> to give my contact information when somebody wants to pay me to do something. And uh, so that night, I'm covering the K-State game and, and my phone's just buzzing like crazy. Well, I'm not going to be able to hear it anyway. So I just let it go to voicemail. I went back into the media room and I listened to it. And the guy, it's a publishing company from St. Louis saying, uh, you know, would would you be interested in, give us a call at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. We want to talk to you about a book on the Chiefs. And I, I thought, well, I'm not a morning person, especially if I'm working till midnight, but I might be able to make an exception. So I got up at eight o'clock and they said, this is not a narrative history. It's just a series of short features on the people and the events that shaped the team's 60 year history. And I said, great, sounds good. I'll do it. He said, good. Deadline's June 15th. Whoa. And, and I said, that, that's exactly my reaction. I said, that's really fast. And he said, well, we could find someone else. And I said, I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I just said, that's really fast. So if I get you the manuscript by June 15th, you'll have it out by the start of the season. And they said, no, it'll be out at the end of October. And I said, why in the world would you release a football book on the reigning Super Bowl champions at the end of October? And after questioning their sanity a little bit, you know, I just said, when would you need the manuscript to have it by the start of the season? And their reaction was, that's impossible. And I said, all right, let me rephrase the question. When would you need the manuscript to have it out by the start of the season? And I think he was expecting pushback because when I said, or when he said, uh, April 15. And remember, this is like March 15. I said, okay. And he started pushing back. And I hung up the phone thinking, how in the world am I going to be able to do this? I later that morning drove down and I'm getting ready to go out and watch the K-State game or whoever was playing for, I don't remember who the Thursday morning game was. And they called us into the media room and said, tournaments canceled. And then driving home, I hear NCAA tournaments canceled and major league baseball is canceled and Major League Soccer is canceled. Not only there's my income, but there's everything I'm doing. Okay, I've got no income. Maybe I'll work on this book. So I wrote that Chiefs book, which is a coffee table book. I wrote it in two weeks, which wow. I would not recommend doing. But <laughs> I was I was one of the few people that benefited from <laughs> financially from the pandemic. It's incredible. So, That's incredible. But yeah, it, writing books is fun. All right. Um, most importantly, where can people get a copy of your book? You know, uh, Rally House has now picked it up uh, across the region. The easiest way is probably still Amazon. Love to support the local booksellers, first and foremost, to pick it up. Yeah. Because... All right. We'll wrap it up with a couple of personal questions. What's the future for Brian Haney? You know, I'm right where I want to be, David. I'm, I'm so blessed to get to be here and, and cover my alma mater and, and live in the town that I love so much. And so just want to keep growing and building what we do with this platform, not only in the games, but what we do around 
Kansas athletics with our storytelling, whether it's podcasts or, or the different uh, deep dives we do into capturing the history that we have here that we're so proud of, while also telling the stories of the guys that are making history, the guys and gals, I should say. Um, so I'm right where I want to be. I still get a chance to do a few national games a year, which is fun. But if people ask all the time, is, is this the, the last stop? And I hope so. If I'm lucky enough yeah. to be here, I want to be here like Bob and Max were and, and Tom Hedrick as well, who's one of the great mentors that I didn't have a chance to, to talk too much about earlier. But uh, but yeah, this is home for me. So just growing it and trying to make it into something bigger and better this year, if, if we uh, connect with enough generous uh, heartfelt donations, uh, donors, I should say, we'll have a chance to eclipse a million dollars raised for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic in our 14-year history, which started in very humble beginnings with $5 tickets and $1 hot dogs and, and maybe 14 or 15 players playing in the game. Now we have 60 guys come back every summer, many of which are NBA guys, and we do golf, a gala, a bowling tournament. We have the obvious, you know, basketball celebrity all-star game that we have, and it's just grown bigger and bigger. And so to keep up with that and, and hopefully, uh, you know, continue to make a difference in the lives of families affected by cancer, that'll be the big thing um, to keep growing that. But no, I'm, I'm loving it. I get to work with the coolest coach in the country and Bill Self, who's as genuine and, and easy to be around and work with as any coach that you could possibly come across, let alone the ones that are Hall of Famers that have won going on 800 games. And most guys, after a certain win threshold, they, they become a little more difficult to be around because the pressures and, and all that. But he is still as easygoing and as easy to work with and just genuinely cares about the people that are in his circle on his team as any guy I've been around. And so so long as he's here, I consider myself the luckiest guy. And I love our new leadership with Travis Goff. He's tremendous. And uh, I really feel like for the first time since I've been back, we've got the leadership, the football coach, the basketball coach, everything heading in the same upward trajectory at the same time. The synergy and the vibe around the place is as good as it's ever been. And we really feel like it's only a matter of time before it turns in football, too, with what Lance Leipold's building. So I'm pumped for the future, excited about what lies ahead and yet so grateful for the memories I've already had a chance to, to be a part of here. Cause I'm the luckiest dude I know getting to be here and do all this and, and just try not to ever take any day for granted. That's for sure. All right. Uh, we always wrap up with two things. First, talk about your family. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm single uh, with a dog named Bo. He was a rescue. Uh, my previous dog was, was Griffey. So I guess I have something for like eighties and nineties baseball stars, but uh, <laughs> But Bo and me live here in Lawrence, and uh, I have uh, wonderful parents that are also in Lawrence, Jim and Nancy, and uh, eventually want to have a, a wife and kids working on all that still. But uh, definitely blessed to be in a town that would be great to raise a family in if I get a chance to eventually. All right. You, you alluded to it. It's always my last question. And because I sent you the questions ahead of time, you knew this one was coming. Yeah. You can, you can interpret the question and answer the question however you want. What's your legacy? Well, hopefully we've only pinned a few chapters and then we're just getting started. But uh, I believe that, you know, people in our realm, David, uh, you know, are given these positions of influence and, and have a certain kind of platform and, and stage to speak from because we're meant to do good from those spots. And it was a book called Roaring Lambs that I read when I was 25 that changed my perspective on everything. 
because I was going through a quarter life crisis thinking, man, am I really leaving any type of legacy or impact doing what I'm doing as a local sports talk host that does some play by play? And and then I, I read this book and it was a Christian book that talked about how God elevates you to certain spots in order to make great differences in the lives of those around you. And sometimes people working in the secular realm can have just as profound an impact for the kingdom and for the community. Uh, If they look at their resources, look at their connections and say, okay, why did I get planted here? And how can I bear fruit right where I'm at? And that's how the round ball classic was started. And then that's how everything that, that I've had a chance to do since that's really you know, its roots and where it comes from. The verse Luke 12, 48 is my life verse. I have it on my wall. I wear a ring with it on it. It it says to whom much is given, much is expected. And so each year trying to bear fruit and and grow what we do through this really blessed perch of of storyteller of one of the great institutions in the country. I I see that as a opportunity or responsibility, but the biggest blessing I could have as well. And so hopefully the legacy is one that by the time I call my last game, from a media standpoint, had a chance to call multiple national championships, numerous Final Fours, multiple bowl games, but more from a ambassador standpoint, had a chance to uh, represent the University of Kansas, my community, my family uh, as best I possibly could, and hopefully make a profound impact on a lot of the families, not just right here in Lawrence, but across all the Jayhawk Nation and and outside of Jayhawk Nation, you know, we, we have rivalries and all that. But the bottom line is we care about people no matter who they cheer for. And I hope that resonates and connects when, when folks either hear our delivery on the calls. And when I say our, I mean my whole crew or interacts with us in person. Like I said at the start of this, you never know how one interaction, uh, one connection could change your life in big time yeah. ways. And I hope when people meet me and my guys on our crew, uh, that they feel that you know we're genuine, humble, grateful, appreciative to be where we're at. And and as you said, try to deliver it with positive energy, always seeing the glass half full, because at the end of the day, it's just sports. We love it tremendously. And and it's you know to a diehard passionate level that we do. But above all else, you know, it's it's about people and relationships. And uh, that, to me, has been the best part of this job, more so than any win I'll ever have a chance to call. It's connecting with the people of Kansas, with the coaches, with the players of the University of Kansas. that truly makes this the best job in the country I could possibly have. All right. Great, great way to wrap it up. I I always enjoy listening to you. Don't tell any of my K-State friends, but I'm rooting for the Hawks uh, (laughs) this year in the tournament. I got to cover Dave Scretta was in China. And so I got to cover uh, 10 or 11 games at Allen Fieldhouse. And I almost found myself rooting, almost found myself rooting for him uh, secretly. And then I thought, wait a minute, this is KU. I can't root for KU. But really, away from away from the court, uh, you know, I, I do hope the Hawks do well. I, I love Bill Self. Great guy. And those kids, Ochai Baji has to be a, one of the nicest kids I've oh, ever yeah. met. So um, good, good team, good fun, fun team to watch. And and I wish you guys all the success. Thank you so much. And I know we're trying to wrap up, but if I could have 10 seconds on Oach, I mean, to me, he is the epitome, the quintessential humble superstar, yeah. gracious, humble, deflects praise and attention to his teammates. He's a guy that never seems to have a bad day when it comes to his personality and smile. And I think any success he has, any accolade he earns, he should get them all because he's as great an ambassador as I've had a chance to cover here, no doubt. I, I was at the game. I think it was Oklahoma State when he passed Wilt Chamberlain yeah. in, in career scoring. And so I, in the post game, I said, Ochai, what's what's your reaction to the fact that that you passed Wilt Chamberlain in career scoring at KU? 
And he said, Oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. That's really cool. And, you know, he was very humble about it. And, and he said, but that's, that's quite an honor. And then we went on something else. And so I picked up my recorder afterwards and I said, by the way, it took him 48 games to get to that number. He goes, Oh, <laughs> yeah, it took, it took Ochai 109. So yeah, great kid. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you at the big 12 tournament, my friend. And it's good to catch up with you. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.